0: Yes, we are live Hi everyone, Uh, my name is Monju, And you are welcome to another episode of the Candy Talk podcast Um, I'm joined by uh, my uh, regular, uh, Stanley Achonu And we have a guest in the house uh, today Uh, His name is um, Solomon Uluashion Oyeniro And he's joined us today to talk about his brilliant book that um, that is now available on Amazon and in lots of other platforms. Uh, the title is The Power of Vision. So what I'm going to be doing is uh, to give uh, Shion the floor to talk more about the book and we are going to be asking questions uh, about this book as well. So um, Sharon, why don't you uh, introduce yourself formally and um, uh, let's crack on from there.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Munju um, and, and, and Stanley for um, having me on your program. I know the early days, a while ago when you started the podcast and you shared the, your episodes with me, it's been really, really interesting. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I'm fascinated by your consistency and commitment, you know, to put the word out there and your passion, obviously, uh, not only on ground in the community, but also, you know, in the diverse project and different activities you've also been engaging in. So. It's quite interesting, and I want to appreciate you thank for inviting you. me over on this show um, as well as Stanley. I'm mean, you guys fan. If you guys don't know, I'm low-key a fan. You know, I follow <laughs> the activities on, on on Twitter. After you guys post some of them on Twitter, I, I do follow, and I'll be part of some of the ones you invited guests from the U.S. I, I remember I particularly did that. I invited a while ago. Mary, yes, Mary. Right. Yeah. And she spoke excellently well. I really yeah. do enjoy it. So yeah, thank you for having me. Of course, as you said, I would introduce. Myself and um, the Power of Vision book, as you mentioned. Um I'm Oluash Wayneo. Um, Oluwa, Solomon, Uluash Winero, but the Solomon name is more for those people who don't know what to call Oluwashi, So I <laughs> so don't destroy, don't destroy my name. But I always prefer to stay with my my core Nigerian name, which is Uluashio. and um, I I i hail from originally from your state, Nepado. Mm-hmm. Um Akineli local government area specifically. And um, so if people ask me, most they think I'm from Lagos, but I'm more from, from Ibado than, than Lagos. So, yeah, the, from there, I studied uh, in, uh, in one of these local schools. My primary school was actually um, Bowles, one school called Bowles in Yanapaja. And then from there, my parents, my dad got posted to Abuja, actually. And so he went ahead in 1979. Some of uh, my siblings and my mom were still in Lagos, and then he later moved us down. Along the way, though, we, we moved with him um, as I began to go into my secondary school, my high school. And so I did my high school in Abuja. Command Day Secondary School in Abuja. Um, and for some reason, some of us are becoming famous now. Most of us are graduated from that school. but Is that
0: the same school that uh, our, our friend finished from? Oh, Benidiquo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, same, school? same school?
1: That is the same school <laughs> so That is that's where we actually met. So we're classmates, actually, um, oh, okay. in um, Command Abuja there. Um, and then from there, um, I, I moved I lost touch with most of my Abuja base, so I'm now struggling to even reconnect. They added me to our alumni group, which I was still like, "Who are all these people? I don't know you guys." Are kids. <laughs> but anyway, so from there to Lautech, uh most of them were Abuja, but I left. So from there, I kind of had a transition, got new, mostly new networks. And from uh, from Lautech there, I knew that I was going to live in the, in the country for a while, and then from uh, Lautec I just went to the finishing our final year, two thousand and nine. I was busy applying for universities in the UK. Most of my colleagues were like, I, is this guy crazy? But I just felt that I, I had more to, to learn. I just started looking out early. Um, my parents were supportive, my family, because they noticed from my starting, I'm always like extra. So like finishing school, they are like, if we don't get this guy abroad, he's going to die on our neck. <laughs> Even though it was unbelievable and it was hard, miraculously, family gathered, and then they helped me forward. But something occurred between my Tech transition to the UK, University of Paul in the UK, um, I, I did economics, agricultural economics in the UK, mm. but I, I began to really get, have interest in data, in, um, in statistics, econometrics. Um, so boy, it was agriculture, but I focused more on economics, which is what I kind of just built on my career uh, moving forward from there, specifically in the area of data handling and, and statistics and econometrics. So the UK now, you know, village boy like me from Lattic, right? unbelievable I I blasted powerfully University of Hawaii was crazy (laughs) blasted distinction everything together you know so that journey there kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things I was my postgraduate faculty rep I was a student rep for the university like so many things that things I was so quiet in in Lautech right but just the fact that my parents and my family struggled to just set me out I was like man I can't I have, I, have to to most, no, have I have to make
0: the most. I have
1: to collect change stuff. for this money, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was a brutal season. I was like 100% hardcore, get everything I could get. Yeah, exactly. So it was, it was really, it was, it was a journey. It was it was a transition for me. The exposure, the experience, you know, really building myself as an economist. Um, Again, so I narrowed, I began to narrow down. But along the way now, which is where this book now came to be, which mm. I worked on, I began to really learn more about I've always been passionate about Nigeria, about our economy, about mm. the way things have been. But the UK exposure now, where that begins to really, because my research was now, um, my, my f- main focus of my research was how to non-all agricultural sector, right? Economic efficiency of um, non-all agricultural sector. What are the contributions those side can contribute to the economy? So I began to learn, that research made me to ex- expose me to how we were drained with crude oil we have alternative socioeconomic economic mainstay. Anyway, long and short of that, I started blogging in 2010, um, shimweniro.blogspot.com, all of my learning. I and mean, around that time was when we started this, our um, oil crisis, whether were raised the price of oil. Interestingly, they raised it again recently. <laughs> we yeah. already did some trick recently, but anyway, we'll come back to that. Yeah. But anyway, I learned a lot of all the things that have happened to Nigeria as a nation. Um, my passion began to find more interest in, in, in the area of providing solution. So I, I've gotten to a stage where let, let's even forget all the activities and everything we're talking about. What does Nigeria really stand for? You know, so I began to realize that as a nation, until we recognize who we truly are, until we re, uh, to identify our core identity, because it was very, it's very fundamental. If you ask an American, they will tell you can die for America. Why? Because they know what America stands for. If you ask them it's freedom of democracy, they're a free state, you know, they know what they are standing for. And it starts with, um, things that their forefather established, uh, Washington specifically, the mm-hmm. Freedom Act and Freedom Right, they will die for these things, right? They know who they are. But as a nation, I, I suddenly found out that as, as Nigeria is concerned, yes, we can say peace, love and unity, our forefathers, their fight. None of us have really had a clear grasp of what that is. So I, I realized that we have a transformation in the sense that we begin to have core values. We begin to know who we are. We can see all this change and change and change forever. Without a core identity, a core value system, let me put it that way, until you really value something, you don't want to fight for it, right? You don't want to die for it. How we can come to see beyond the suffix, how we can come to see beyond our fiscal eyes, how we can begin to appreciate what first starting as, as an individual point of view then we look at it as a national point of view. So that's the whole, I kind of merge my journey together with the book and everything, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. that's, that's pretty much the whole gist how I I jumped into this whole uh, uh, journey so far. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting.
0: Interesting. So my, my next question uh, for you Mm. uh, is when exactly did you get this inspiration to write this book? And can you tell us about the key factors that, Contributed to getting that inspiration
1: yeah th- th- i think along the way um thanks Monty for that question along the way the passion kind of started brooding um little by little but i remember one thing i didn't mention earlier in the introduction one thing i really that i that really struck me as far as my growing up was concerned that made me just go all out for this particular um Story or that led to to this journey of writing the book was in Nigeria in 1996. We all know the June 12 event. I was pretty young then, but I can remember my mom running back all the way from work. She works at the I right and todman Land Bridge is blocked. They are burning tires. I was pretty young then, you know. So I started beginning to spot that there's something wrong around this nation. Why is every day there's riot, there's fights, there's chaos, there's on there's unrest and and you know, and I even grew up to meet some of them behind my house. They would throw tear gas. All of us <laughs> running in our eyes, right in our living room. Right, we will be seeing what are coming up, dry, draining from our eyes. So <laughs> I was, I was worried. Like, what kind of, what's going on? Right, I knew something was off, but as I then, I couldn't put it together. But that particular June 12 event was what really stuck with me, and I began to realize that there's something off. But as I began to grow older, I realized that the root of it, is similar to the identity part, but away from the identity part, is actually a leadership crisis. I realized that everything rises and falls on leadership. So since that time, I've been committed to finding out how we can escor- correct leadership, how we can raise a group of people that I can lead effectively. Because if there's no good leadership, then everything will fall on that, that system, right? So without good leadership now, I, I realize things will fall apart. So from that moment on, I'm like, okay, what can I do? What, because, I mean, that thing hit me hard. Like, how can people be running up at a moment? I don't go to work. She was scared for her life. So I felt like, okay, this is a, this is what we call, what I call paradigm shift in the book. And those paradigm shift moments come through mostly horrible events, right? So all of the horrible was what I began to pull together. And I felt a, a strong passion in my heart that things will not change suddenly. That, and I know me and some of us have really tried about this. Some of us have to be responsible for that change. Some of us have to be responsible for that change. So over time, as from my study and all the things I've done, I broke into a, a, a some portion. I found out eventually that we, also we, before we can go to national change or even leadership change, it has to be individual change. So I moved away from national first, which we'll be coming to that later. But my first approach now is individual change. So that was what those events of of those books that kind of those events of my life, plus the oil crisis, where I realized that this is another leadership crisis. You know, when in the seventies we discovered oil. And all that we should be using for to to build the economy, diversify. So people were eating the money. So I don't need. To, but I've worked on some of those cases since I've come to Canada here, tracing some of the money that was. So I, I've I've seen this thing in real life, right? So I'm beginning to realize that every rise and falls on leadership, and to make a change, it has to be individual perspective. Each person has to take the responsibility. We have to come to a new awareness of what we want for ourselves. As a person, each person can now say, okay, this is the stake I hold in this nation. Let me first get the right perspective. Let me be a better person. Let me improve on my own effectiveness, personal efficiency. And then how can that translate to the national life? How can I, as we look from an economic perspective, um, how can I improve on my own contribution per capita improvement, right? Not national improvement, because GDP gross is, is per capita eventually, right? So how can I make per capita contribution to the national life and so that is what eventually led to those moments that, you know, led to me that I say, okay, this is the book I feel we can write to really teach or explain the framework for personal transformation, for individual effectiveness, for our efficiency. Once you get your personal life in intact, then we can now begin to replicate that because I agree now, multiple people who have gotten an understanding. That together we can make a national change. So that's that's those are the things that build up to this book and pretty much everything that I've been able to put together in the book that led to it. Mm. Yeah,
0: interesting. Um, yeah, so Stanley, coming. I can
2: totally relate to your UK experience. You we all went through. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> we all went through. Yeah, <laughs> you
0: Seriously. know, uh,
2: totally. I can totally relate to it. You know how um, when you get to a proper functional environment where yes. Uh, teaching is different from what you know from our university so it was a mm, surreal kind mm, of experience mm. you know being in that kind of environment and then um that hug that I drove you to get to that point becomes even more more yeah. real and more, absolutely. <laughs> <a> more <easier laughs> than you imagine. Yeah. So i totally yeah. can totally can connect yeah. with that because we all have that that um experience but i, I want to mm. maybe i should play a bit of devil's advocate and I, absolutely I like, I, and i like how you started off by saying, um, you know, we we all need to grow individual, um, mm. you know, vision and mission, mm. you know, in you know, mm. order in order to see a bigger picture of the mm. whole, um, mm. you know, national leadership. I, I'm just wondering mm. in a country where people are extremely mm. poor, mm. uh, and it seems like we're almost in a phase of survival of the fittest, um, and I and I want to think that that's why. Even though it's not a valuable excuse. And I remember I'm playing yeah. that's why when mm-hmm. people get an opportunity to leave, they want to grab everything they can because they do not think that there will be anything left when they leave mm-hmm. office, right? Mm-hmm. How do you sell this vision? You know, this individual vision that we can then join mm-hmm. together to become a national. How do you sell that in a country where we're almost at the survival of the fittest mode?
1: Yeah, that's not a great question. And it's rather unfortunate that, you know, we've we've. it's rather unfortunate that poverty is, is, is an issue in our nation, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. I was sharing a statistic with Mundu a little bit earlier this week that, uh, so it's kind of a funny thing as I'm trying to answer your question, Stanley, that we're so religious, right? I was sharing mm-hmm. the religiosity Index with Mondu the statistics that I, I was looking at. Nigeria was the second most religious country um, yeah, no. Ghana was the first. Nigeria was the second in the world, right? As of 2017, which is the latest data I was able to gather, on that same trend. When you say religiosity, what people that say God, you know, like if, if every statement you make, I trust God for this. It's not. It doesn't matter whether you're Christian or Muslim or whatever mm-hmm. religion you belong to, as long as you are just putting God in your statement. It's, it's as it. you know, exactly. You have that religious idea. So most africans most Nigerians do that. So at are the second in the world, right? We, First, before, that's 2012, but in this new data, 2017, Ghana is up the the radar. Nigeria is among the second in the world now, right? So what is startling to me? 97%, that's what the data said, 97% of of Nigerians will always mention God, Mm -hmm. the religious system. Now, look at the flip side now, poverty index. (laughs) Whilst we are ranking high in religiosity, we are also ranking high in poverty, right? So it's startling because if we understand the basis of of religion is to um, liberate you and to help you see better, right? Unfortunately, well, it's, it's startling to find out that as high as religion is in short correlation between poverty and religion is high so in the same league with nigeria was thailand was philippines and some other countries like that too that were in the poverty index yet they are the highest most religious people so what is startling to me there is that poverty is, is here but what i'm beginning to realize that poverty and i wrote this i'm just going to read a, a statement i wrote in this book uh, so my answer is going to come from this research that was done in the US in the nineteen eighties, the so they move people. It's called move research. MTO. I've, I've really spoken a lot about this particular MTO. Um, so MTO is they just took some people, black people, from a particular area in in US. They were in poverty. They were really really poor people. So it's a ghetto kind of area. They uprooted them, right, and then they threw them. They built a whole estate like well developed went and plant all of the families there. And what did they do again? They didn't just plant them there. They also gave them money. A stipend, right? MTU. This is not, I'm not making this up. This is real research. So I had to go mm-hmm. gather the data as I write. So they moved them there. And then when they moved them there, they gave them stipend. that this is a new area of living. You can get access to jobs. They they put them within places where there's schools that their children can go to away from the ghetto. Now, they put, they also gave them stipend to be buying groceries so that they won't be poor because in the struggle to look for food or something, they might not, want to settle, but they settled mean absolutely. Now, guess what happened? <laughs> Despite all of that, can you believe that they were still poor? Mm. Poverty act. Yeah. Yeah, let me read out the conclusion for you. So, the conclusion of the movement opportunity housing um, experience with that, in particular, looking at where kids grew up. Now, with the objective of um, of moving into poverty, the MTO experiment was implemented by the government to determine whether providing low income families with assistance by moving them to a better neighborhood could improve their economic and health outcome, right? As a result now, by that, they found out that people, adults now, adults that move to that area, their economic outcome, nothing changed. Hmm. But because children now, the younger ones managed to improve a little bit, but not great, tremendous improvement. That's only for children, kids. But for adults and young adults and upward, nothing changed. So what I wrote here, what that brought me out to understand poverty, and this is a quote I put in the book here, poverty is not a function of lack of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Poverty primarily comes due to lack of understanding of one's life purpose. Now, we're looking at a national perspective now. If you don't understand a national reason, why, and I'm going to explain some of this in a moment, a misunderstanding of the resources, when I say misunderstanding, lack of management, mm-hmm. of the resources, the talents, the gift, and the potential that you have been given to fulfill that purpose. Right? So now we're looking at the bottom line. People are trying to say, oh, we're poor, we're poor. But the reality is, how did we get there? If we don't look at the nexus of the poverty to religion, to the other connection to what brought us here. Somebody was tweeting, I don't know why I said on Twitter, people can mention God and pray God to come and revive us in this system. We're talking about poverty here. It's the first thing we need to ask. And that has to do with rewiring that entire process. And that's why things like this, you know, people talking about book. Is it book we going to eat. But if we don't go through some of these underlining factors, there's no way we can change it. So it's hard, I know, that we are talking about people want to go to survive. People want to escape day to day. You're talking about go and read book. Yeah. But it's important <laughs> that we need to appreciate that if we don't learn, the first and foremost, acknowledge where the faults arise from and know where those, these issues, these shifts came from, right? And know where they have come from. Otherwise, we can continue to chase the poverty. The same poverty some of us are trying to escape now our children will eventually fall into it without they even knowing. Because mm. as we find, because I really delve into the, the, the MTU experiment, it's a psychological drain. Because you are living in opportunity, but because of your mentality. Your mentality has just been locked to poverty, to struggle, right? It's a mm. mentality thing. So people have, it's, it's a drain. And I, I really compare that to Africa a lot, and Nigeria specifically, because we've been so grounded in this thing that, right now, as you see, this pandemic, maybe we'll get time to really talk about it. It's an opportunity. Nations have opened. You don't need to apply for visa anymore. One of my friends is telling me, before I used to apply for visa for conference, the, all the conference is on Zoom now. All the conference is on Zoom. So it's, it's a flattening thing. So, more than ever before, it's time of pandemic and difficulty. But it, it, people that are smart, that understand these dynamics I'm trying to talk about, is amazing opportunity. It's time to break out of all of these things that is holding us down before and tap into the new dispensation. So, back to your question, um, Stanley, is that Except people, first and foremost, appreciate the mental and, and, and cognitive strain that has been handed over to us. Unless we begin to, and it's, it, this is where vision comes, because vision, we did not even define it. it, is a mental picture of the future. Now, until we retrace that mental process of what is making us see the wrong picture first, mm-hmm. right, we'll not be able to correct it. We'll we continue to recycle the old, same old struggle over mm-hmm. and over again. So, one of the things that I, I really wish that we're starting with, with this book and even with this conversation is to really pause and ask important questions. What brought us here? How did we get here? What caused this struggle, right? Before we now take action, because people think action is the first thing. Action is the necessary thing, it's a change in perspective, it's a change in way of thinking. That is the first solution. That is the best place to start. So, when you think better, then you can see better because what you see is a function of mindset. Mm. Right, it's a function of mindset. <laughs>
2: you know, uh, listening to you, listening to you, I'm, I'm even more scared. More scared because yeah. Yeah. you know I, I see how this um, this poverty we are in. There's mm. you know, that lack of vision. Yeah. You know, mm. the role it plays, but I'm more scared mm. because people have been poor for this long. Mm. The only thing they see is poverty. Mm. Right, and
0: we have been poor for so long. Yeah. So
2: how how,
0: where do you start start? from? Exactly. Exactly.
2: Like, where do we start?
0: (laughs) And and another question, and um, another question is that Mm -hmm. what what really scares me is like what we have right now, where Mm. majority of Nigerians are poor, we've seen a lot of statistics. Um Mm. the ones the 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 uh, majority below living below the poverty line mm. um the significant population living in abject poverty you know all mm. these indices mm. are been used in development economics right yeah now connecting this change to those people is even more difficult but what i really like mm. is the leadership part of of things mm. right like how do mm. we cuz if we don't get leadership right i don't think we are ever going to make any mm. meaningful steps right so how do we then connect uh this mm. sort of message to stimulate good leadership traits to to you know to encourage people to think in a very positive way that would encourage uh, us to bring up good leaders so it's a case mm. of you have the ones that are living in abject poverty, but how does that message get to them? How? Mm. I know education is key, obviously. Um, but it's beyond that. There, there has to be something that is more uh that is more organic, something that is going to connect at that level to to start to stimulate that kind of change. But before mm. before you before you come in, I would also yeah. like you to talk about. to to give sort of like a high level summary of what you are going to get when you read the Power of Vision book. I know it it is a very powerful book. I like the fact that you have history in there. History is always important for anything Mm. that has to do with inspiration Mm. or uh, uh, practical changes. You have history, you have economics and Mm -hmm. you can relate it to Mm. real life experiences. You know, so can you tell us in a, in a, uh, doing like high level summary of what you are going to get yeah to in this um,
1: yeah um, I, I know um, let me just i'm trying to even see how i can put everything together it's a yeah, lot, of, yeah. a lot of i know it's a lot pieces. but let me <laughs> let me start at least on like specifically like what's what where do we start what do we do um, honestly i don't think any but one single person have the answer if I will tell you that I have the whole answer, it's a big lie. That that one is something we shouldn't deceive ourselves with. And I can't, there's no one book that can answer all the questions. And yeah. that's, that's important for us to really register that. And we can only do so much. But, but I think, I think one thing we need to first to acknowledge, however, is, and, and this is really important, like somebody always says that once you're able to figure out the problem, it's of 50% able to acknowledge what the problem is or know what the problem is. It's half solved, right? But the first thing I think, which is what, what's kind of always exciting about Africa and Nigeria specifically is the fact that we know that something is not right. And so with that starting point, that begins to show us that we know that we desire and demand more, right? Now, I would say that with average everyday people, how do we really um, get to start with them? It's hard because we have to, it, I think, I don't think it's one step and I don't think one person can solve it, but I think we can use multiple approach. This is just my own um line of thinking i feel we can do multiple approach number one um is, which is some of the things i've written in the book whilst we are we're showing a better way of life we're also empowering them simultaneously right so it's not only just talking and saying do this do this but showing proof and empowering and, and providing them with the tools as well to to use or to do some of these things we've said now right and so myself i'm on you. I'm on our own very little small scale with this how we are, we wrote the book but i didn't just it took me about six years to write the book, just to put out there. Uh, it's not just writing it; do I say we spend up, but it's giving it to schools and libraries. Right, we're making effort out of our own not-for-profit branches to make sure that whether you have money or not, go and be reading this in your library. Go and start to learn and unlearn. In fact, I think it's the unlearning part that's the most important thing because people are learning a lot in Africa and Nigeria, but it's about what they don't even need to learn anymore. Right. So first, while we're providing the book and making it available through our own outreach platform. We're also following up with grants, with like myself, I sponsor university student. If you ask me, I know many of my friends, my good friends are doing how to travel abroad and do this kind of business. Me, I'm saying, no matter where you are, just find your most important ability, find that supports will come. And it it might look like a gimmick, but most of us, like now knowing what we know, put us in Africa, we will survive, right? Put us in one place because we've learned some of these basics of how things run. We build networks and partners. So I don't believe that you have to leave one Nigeria and travel anywhere, really. I haven't learned now. But I believe that wherever you are <clears throat> is a matter of knowledge and understanding and, re- and being uh, attracting the resources and the tools you need to make things happen. Right. So whilst we are giving them knowledge, we're also providing support financially. People want to start projects, people wanna, you know, we provide new entrepreneurship support. So it's a it's a string of projects that we've you know rallied around one single thing we've run, but we hope that with integration of all of this now, we can be able to reach and, and touch as many people. We have partners in Africa as well. Um, university partners, like most of my lecturers before now, we are now partners in this business, right? Because they've known that, okay, this guy is now serious with business. So they, they take me as their colleague, we work together with some of their students who are you know going through difficulty, and they spot potential in them, but they know are struggling. We jump on you know, course collaboration, mentorship, and so it's, it's a broad of things, but I, I think I'll just wrap it here by saying that the best way to start is, is to use that multiple approach. Provide the knowledge and the orientation, mindset change, and I show them the big picture, but also provide them the basics they need to start. Because no matter how much you talk, and people want to eat first, right? They want to get their day going, right? So we want to use that multiple platform, multiple approach, especially, and I'll, I'll wrap up, I'll, I'll call this. Nigeria today, Oh my God. And I'm, I'm talking, I'm going back to my economics because I'm just coming from Benspour and now our most powerful natural resources right now. You guys know it. Our youth. Oh my God. Yeah. Now so, um, youth, um Okonjo wrote it to some of our earlier book, which I reviewed in my, my my thesis during my master's. Um then in she called it youth bulginess, right? We have abundance of youth talent. Oh, my God. Now, for any economy, I'm talking economic terms now, for any nation to really break out of poverty like we are doing, they need two things. They need technical deepening, like technical technology to do to produce faster. If you don't have technology, you have the other one, which is called labor deepening, human power, natural resources, mm. people that are ready to work. So you can use technology deepening, which is what Western world are doing. They might not have, they already, their aging population is there but they might have technology to help them advance. But we may not have technology, but we have more power. And that's what people, nations like China did, right? So if you come to check it at the end of the day, you'll be looking at it that some particular nations are looking, they're using autocratic their governance system. Mm. Look at them. They are doing very well because they know how to, to do, to get the resources. Leadership now, kind of touching a little bit on leadership They're talking about. Leadership is sound. They know exactly what the nations stand for. They have a clear vision. They look at the picture of where they are going to. So it might look like they're autocratic, but that leadership system works. Or like now we are chasing all this democracy, but we are just, you know, not getting it right. So what I'm just having to say at the end of the day is no matter the governance system, what is important is leadership. Yes, democracy works, get good leadership. It might be autocratic, get good leadership, right? Empowering the young people. These guys will break barriers. They will do amazing things. Because if we don't do that now, which is almost getting too late, now, we have over 50% of Nigeria population right now, as we speak, is youth. There are people less, like around 30, 25 downwards, right? 30, 30 or so, I was looking at the population statistics um, two years ago, right? About all our population, half of it is, is youth. And I'm saying that if we begin to equip them right now and begin to empower them, in the next couple of years, all of this like coding thing you are talking about, and it goes to what some of the basic parts some of us are doing now. Because at the end of the day, it's not about the coding, it's the coding the right way. Because you might want to know about, but if you don't have the right mindset, this is, which is where people like us are really trying to cover the right mindset, the right approach to what you're doing. Because you can just think you are coding, but you're not just coding, you are coding for a purpose. You are yeah. coding for the emancipation of Nigeria. You're coding mm-hmm. to bring about the new nation, right? So that gives you twice as much passion into what you're doing compared to yeah. who are just coding. Now, so we empower youth, really, really critical. And that's the way we begin to move from, this our properties to creating value. It's all about creating value. It's not, it's, just, it's not money. People are chasing money. That's the problem with Africa. Nigeria too, because paper <laughs> is not a thing. Paper is not a thing. We, so these are the value orientation we need to change away from. Get, create value, money will follow. Because once you begin to create substance that is useful for people to buy and contribute and solve problem, money will follow, right? So start small micro you know build up little by little empower the youth change the mentality from going to get this 10 years in university I, I, i'm not going to even just say go copy some of this model but we see how they're doing it there give them one computer technology they'll scrap it up in the next two three years come back they'll build be a the better model yeah of that absolutely. Computer for you and they don't need, they don't need any certificate mm-hmm. they don't need any certificate they don't need to go to school that's what we need to be doing how to empower these guys not creating this. And um, Western ideology of bureaucratic system around what we're doing, they have to go to these five years of now we need fastest, shortest call to accomplish yeah. national emancipation. Let these guys provide resources for them, give them the space early because Baba, we are going about this year, sec- next year, once this pandemic do, is over, we are, we are gone.
0: Do, do you also <laughs> want ahead, to quickly me. talk about what you? There was one time you and I had this conversation about Excel and you spoke mm. about how we need to find a way to quickly incorporate Excel at an early stage in education because of how, um, how important it is in productivity. Do, do, you, do, you, do you want to touch on that?
1: I, I remember some of the things I was saying, yeah. So we're talking about uh, China is just more, because in terms of labor composition, China, China, India, they're very similar to us too, right? In terms of how much population. So yeah, that thing occurred in China a while ago ask a Chinese guy to the kids. They're already doing algebra calculus, right? So it's not, I, it goes back to the technical education I'm talking about. They call it technical education. I don't know why we relegated really technical education in Nigeria for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why, who is, who is making it look like if you have a H&D or something, you are lesser than. Exactly. So again, I wouldn't even be, today's not the time for us to talk about that. Because at the end of the day, it's, why are you categorizing those things? So what we're saying is, is the practical knowledge, the ability to solve stuff. That's what we need to start with, right? The basics, like Excel, those they're basically like if you're able to ask people today, how do you use Excel? Average, they are they're still struggling with some of these things, right? Meanwhile, these are the basics, this, things like all of office suits. So long and short, at the end of the day, it's incorporating practical stuff. Like what can what can we do right now that can bring about results instantly? And how do we more how do we amplify that so that as you start small, then you build up on this model consistently. I think it's about building a model that's working, micro, small, but it's sustainable, right? Incorporating practical things, Excel, across all board of, of learning and not garnishing it too much to say until you do this. Uh, exactly. Right? Let's, let's restructure and re-strategize. And let's look at what works for us. Let's look at what works for Nigeria. Not The coping is too much. And this is what this pandemic is doing. It's breaking down the whole structure and leveling down the flat surface for us, to rebuild our strategy in such a way that it works for us at our
2: favor.
0: <laughs> right? I don't know if that answers the question a little bit, No, no, it does. It does. Uh, mm. absolutely. Because I know the book is very deep. And mm. um, it's something that we should really push. I like that initiative, mm. and I think Stanley is going to be interested in it. Stanley is someone who's mm-hmm. passionate about education as well, especially mm. supporting supporting the younger ones uh, or the less privileged. And it is really important for us to have messaging that targets the young mind in mm. Nigeria that would help absolutely um, inspire a generation of leaders because remember when Absolutely. we were young and the old talk was uh, we are the leaders of tomorrow and everything but now at this stage mm. we understand how important leadership is i always say that leadership is everything i am a Absolutely. leader in my own capacity Stanley's a Absolutely. leader, you are a leader and the steps Absolutely. and actions we take uh, are, are really really important because we can Absolutely. we can get a lot of things done by by Absolutely. making the right decisions so let's so let, not, let's now flip that to the ones taking uh, more critical positions you know our, our, mm. our, our political leaders uh, you know the yes. people making calls on our economy mm. on on our mm. education uh you know technology mm. and everything so mm. i believe that this book is going to go places and uh we need to key yeah. into something like this stanley do you yeah. have uh do you have a question uh, for- Yeah.
2: So, um, and uh, you know, I like when he was, when Solomon was talking about, um, you know, no matter what form of um, governance structure you have, leadership is extremely- Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, mm. whatever it is, whether you're in leadership or whatever, leadership is, is the main thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, and, and I was, I'm, and I'm wondering, um, is there, do you think that the right leadership can, you know, considering how long we've been in poverty and how mm. much of our people are in poverty, do you think that there's a chance that the right leadership can move us along to the right path? Mm. And if yes, um, do you, you know, looking at our political leadership as of today, is mm. that sort of visionary leadership anywhere, whether it's small or high place, anywhere, where can we? That
1: leadership. Yeah, thanks, Stanley. Um, let me just first step back. Please, this book is not only for Nigeria because people only like, by I talk to Nigeria, it's because of this candidate. So we narrow down the conversation to, to Nigeria yeah. so that people will not be wondering, that, ah, is this book only about Nigeria? No, it's, it's actually a broad book. It's, yeah. it, I actually isolated the lives of about uh, nine people together it's Steve Jobs, Ma, um, Nelson Mandela. That's um, my Masari favorite Buka. part
0: of the book. It's really, yeah, good. I know. It's really, really. Yeah. Good.
1: Masari book, I would start at Sonny. Um, who else again? Um, uh, Helen um, Keller, who was bomb blind. Um, um, Mother Teresa. Mother just Teresa all of yeah. Who, who did great things just by, you know, by, by just stepping forward with what they know was the right thing to do. Um, Steve Jobs did something that was called Reality Distortion Field. But it's a packed book. I want to encourage people to really go get a hold of it. It's in Nigeria right now at Roving Heights Bookshop. Just go over to their website and put the power of vision there. And you will see the book emerge there. So go get it. Um, you can also, you know, reach out to me directly. I can help you see. Or go to thepowerofvisionbook.com. Thepowerofvisionbook.com. You will see where this book is available all over the world. So I encourage people to get it. As much as leadership is the critical thing, leadership is not is 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 a multiplier. Just like this pandemic kind of is, right? Leadership is a multiplier. If you don't have the potential, if, if like we see in our traditional adage in Africa, like if a child does not open a hand, the parents cannot lift the child, right? And I'm being careful of we relegating ourselves to this, which is what the book is completely not about. This is not what we are talking about. It's not it's not everything is not the government, right? This is this is what we are aiming for. is individual renaissance, it's individual personal transformation that that now changes consistently among many of us that now make us to see better and want to do better for the nation, right? Now, among us now, we can now see that among us that can now champion that course. But the first place to start is to recognize what individuals can do, is to recognize your personal power and your own space, your own area, sphere of influence, and exerting that power to change things the best way you can. And by the little you can do, that's snowballing together with other people coming together within the same space, within the same knowledge, within the same ideology and idea, and then together we begin to build, right? What I've proved over and over again, and I can say this over and over again, that when you build, if these things don't exist before, but we found people, as I'm saying here now, can really get this idea and understanding of representing the right thing and living for what is supposed to be, right? Vision, to see a picture of what is yet to be and commit themselves to be living in the reality of what is yet to be. They have a way, I don't know how it happens, to exert a, what I call, external value force on a particular environment, on a nation as well. It has happened over and over again. Check out how South Africa happened. Mandela was the one leading, but you will notice that the ANC, the um, African National Congress, which was the party was, they were just a group of forces, right? And little by little, before you know it, they were just consistent. This is what we want. This is the change we desire. And they were moving forward with it. There were no superpowers. And that's one thing I want to keep emphasizing. It's not about you having one superpower. It's not about you having one, special ability of forcing yourself to be in leadership but it's about what can you do and you'll be surprised how much your personal change can cause national change right so it's small start little and then the leadership amplifies that 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 seed that starts in you so that's the first and most important thing now where have we seen that in in, in nigeria as a nation i've not thought of it um we're still searching we hope we'll find it or maybe i've not built or don't my dig deeper yet, but it's, they, you can obviously see there's a level of scarcity of it because the bottom of it, which is where I wrap up with, what I found out with leadership that follow vision is what I call level seven leadership. And level seven leadership is leadership that is not here to serve just one person. They are here to cause that change and they are committed to die to it, right? They are not, they are not there because you put me there, or I know you. For example, Nelson Mandela, the man, who, if you kill the guy, he told me that's why he went to prison. This is a cause I'm ready to die for. Right? So, if you lock me in prison, you will satisfy my cause. Right? So, these are people that I've seen better. They know better. They know what they demand for. Right? Look at them. So, my, like he knew, the man knew from day one, the statement he made the day before he was killed. I've seen where I'm going to. If you like, shoot me. If you, the more you kill me, the better for the cause we are standing for. Right? So, that's what this thing makes us become. And so, although we've not seen that yet, and I'm desiring that we'll be able to see that leadership that is committed to causing a change. Leadership that is committed to bringing about the new Nigeria that we desire, irrespective of people committing their life to it. And I hope that some of us who are here and those of us who are hearing this will commit to that cause and bring about the new Nigeria we're talking about. That's, I hope that's how that answers the question. <laughs> Excellent.
0: <laughs> excellent so uh thank you very much um everyone for for joining uh thank you stanley uh thank you uh solomon for uh for blessing us with with your presence uh we are very grateful thank you so uh, much i um, really appreciate it uh, can you can you tell us um, how we can contact you on social media i i know you're on twitter and you're on uh instagram as well so uh, do you do you want to give us your our details on social media?
1: Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. I'm Sheunoyenero, S-E-U-N-O-Y-E-N, at Sheunoyenero on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you find me there. Um, and then my website is oluwashenoyenero.com. You will get all access to more of my bio, things that I'm doing currently in the community. Also, the, the charity and the not-for-profit I said we started, which is OAS Education, which will be kicking off powerfully very soon because we just wanted to push this book out there it will be more... Um, in the mainstream, empowering young Nigerians all over the world, and in Nigeria and then empowering young people all over the world. And then you find me there. The book itself is thepowerofvisionbook.com So if you go across all those three black websites, you will definitely be able to reach me as well on this platform.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, if you have any feedback for us, uh, please, please uh, let us know and um, you can say very nice things about stanley and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um on, on our next uh, next episode we have a lot of guests uh guests lined up for you guys a lot of interesting topics that we are going to be discussing and bani and Wally are definitely going to join us in our subsequent editions thank you very much and uh thank you so God bless. Much. cheers yeah bye, bye. 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 bye.